You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. If you have a Bible or a or a smartphone app, you can look along, but the words will be on the screen behind me. Um, just if you haven't been here, or just to refresh your memory, we've, we've done three weeks of this so far. In the first week, we did a story about Jesus being baptized. And so he was, you know, that means he was put into water and, and brought back up. And the story was really about how Jesus is an example of what God wants us all to become like and experience. And that is to become God's child again, to have an experience of living life as you really are God's child. All these are online if you want to listen to them. The next week, we looked at a story of a tax collector and how Jesus calls this tax collector to follow him. The tax collector is somebody in the stories of the Bible that is seen as, as kind of uh, an, a, an outcast to people who are religious. Um, it's not exactly the same how we think about it today, but the tax collector is just he's a bad guy to most people. And so Jesus calls this guy to follow him. And the story goes on to explain that Jesus is really about, he calls himself a physician to the world. He came to heal people who are sick, not people who don't think they're sick. And so we begin to see that it, it, it changes the way we think about Christianity because Jesus is now not just a religious figure that wants you to follow rules, but he's looking for people who know they're not well so he can make them well. The next week after that, we talked about the story of a woman last week who worked in prostitution and how this woman who worked in prostitution f- figured out really who Jesus was fell in love with him and, and came and, and gave everything she had to show her gratitude to him for, for what he was giving to her, which was forgiveness, a feeling of love in her heart. And so Jesus uses her as an example to religious men of the day about what, what uh, God is really interested in, what he's really like. And so all these stories, as we keep going, they show that Jesus kind of turns the common way we think about God upside down. That God is not closest to people who are the best, but he's the closest to people that know that they're not. And so this story is, today is uh, a bit different, but it's, it's very similar in many ways. The story uh, takes place in chapter 8 of Luke. And so I'll read the whole story for you. You can read along if you want. And then uh, we'll take a moment, I'll pray, and then we'll talk about it. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 to 56 says, now when Jesus, this is always a test. I really actually think I need glasses. So you can tell me if that's not what it says. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around and crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she, you know, I'm going to read from here. <laughs> she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. 
While Jesus was still speaking, somebody came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So I'll just take a moment, and uh, you, can, you can pray along with me, and, uh, and then we'll go through it. Father, I want to thank you for, uh, thank you for giving us this, this story. Lord, it's easy to go through moments like this, and to go through music, and to go through you know, showing up somewhere, and listening to a talk, and, and kind of being on our way. But I just want to recognize, Father, for a moment that we are, we are doing some strange things here, like reading from a, a story that's more than 2,000 years old as if it's relevant. And Lord, I think that the story, it speaks for itself, that the meaning of the story is highly relevant to our lives, and you speak, you speak to us through it. And I want to thank you for that. I thank you for, for giving us the Bible, something that's usually seen as irrelevant, but as we keep seeing, it's, it's highly relevant and challenging to the way we live life today. The, the message of love that seeps through, especially these stories about you, Jesus, uh, are challenging. They're good news to us, but they're challenging as well. So I thank you for this story, Father, and I ask that by your Spirit you would speak to us. Father, if it's things that I have thought to say or not, that you would really speak to our hearts, that you would make it make sense to our minds, but you would make it touch our hearts as well. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to do things a little bit differently today, and I'm going to try to tell the story again, just in my own words, so that we understand. It's a bit long, it's a little complicated for what exactly is going on in the story. And then we're going to talk about four things that, uh, kind of themes of the story or things that we should notice. Instead of going verse by verse, I'm going to look at four themes in it today. So the story begins where Jesus uh, has been, if you, if you don't know about, much about Jesus, Jesus is, is a rabbi. He's a Jewish teacher. He's walking around first century uh, Israel. And he's walking around, and he's, 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 he's gathering kind of a following behind him about, he's teaching the, the Old Testament scriptures, he's teaching about what God is like, and he's doing things like miracles, he's healing people, he's finding people that, that, the, that the Bible says uh, are experiencing a demonic spirit, and he's able to kind of just tell it to go, and the person's made well immediately. And so he's, he's walking around doing these things, and just before this story, Jesus has... Um, He's been doing this near where he's from. So these are small t- Most of these are small towns. These are not big cities. He's walking around. He takes a boat with his followers to the other side of a large lake, and there he does some pretty incredible miracles. Word about Jesus is beginning to spread, and, and just before this story comes, Jesus is arriving by boat back to the other side of the lake. And a lot of Jesus' stories happen like this, where he does things, and he sails somewhere, and he does things, and he walks back, and he does things. And so this is what we have here, is that he comes back to the other side of the lake, and the story, the story that we have picks up where there's a crowd of people waiting for him. So this is very different than the early stories of Luke, where Jesus, not, not many people know him. People are, you can imagine, are talking about this guy. You've got to come out and see this guy every time he speaks. It's like something I never heard, and, and things he does, it's amazing. Like, people just get healed. You should come see it. 
So there's a crowd of people literally waiting as Jesus' boat comes up. And in that crowd, there's a man named Jairus who's pressing his way to get to Jesus. And this guy is, is, is set on the fact that he's got to get through this large crowd to get to Jesus to ask him this thing. What's super important is that Jairus is, in this, this area that Jesus is in, there's a synagogue. And synagogues are the places where the Jews would worship locally. So they would go to the temple in Jerusalem when they were able to or for special events. But, but normally they would be in a synagogue, which is somewhat like this. Okay, not very close, but there's really nothing else to, to, to tell you. So it's, it's someone like this. It's a meeting where people come and somebody would read from the Bible and they would do prayers. And it was like a community center too. So the Jewish community of the area was centered around the synagogue. And this guy, Jairus, is the leader of the synagogue. So in the area where Jesus is, there's really nobody more powerful or respected as Jairus as far as a religious guy would go. So... We'll talk about more in this in the four themes, but you can imagine what's happening now is Jesus, who in the last stories we've read is is rejected by religious people. Okay, it's the Pharisees that are somewhat Pharisees are religious Jews that that have a certain understanding of the Bible. They want to challenge Jesus about everything, right? They think that Jesus is wrong, and that they're right, and that Jesus is really soft on some of the teaching and just wrong, and that, that he's misguiding people, and so. What's amazing is in all the stories, the Pharisees are interested, but they end up rejecting Jesus. And here we have Jesus come up, land, and this, the most powerful Jewish man around pushes his way through the crowd and kneels in front of Jesus. So just get this picture. And so this man is, it needs Jesus to come to his house, whatever he will do, because his daughter, who's about 12, is dying. And you can see that this, this urgent to this man that Jesus hurry and heal his daughter before she passes away. And so Jesus seems to say, okay, we're going to go. And he's got his followers, his, his, these guys around him that are, that are following him, and the whole crowd, and they start off toward Jairus' house. You imagine everybody knows who Jairus is. Jesus' followers know who Jairus is. And so they go off to, to Jairus' house. And on the way, something happens where, where the crowd is pressing against Jesus. They're, it's, they're on their way. And a woman, the text tells us, who had been bleeding for 12 years, and we'll talk about all this, finds her way through the crowd, just like Jairus, and touches the back of Jesus' coat. And she, the text says that she's healed immediately from this problem that she has. Jesus stops everything. Okay, so they're in a hurry. I mean, imagine, someone's going to die, and you can help them, so we got to go right now. Well, Jesus stops, and he says, somebody touched me. And, it, and you can see, because Peter says, what are you talking about, Jesus? Like, if people are pressing against us everywhere, of course someone touched you. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm telling you, somebody touched me in a way that I know power left me. Like, I know something's happened, and I need to know who it was. As you can imagine, his, 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 his followers are a bit annoyed, probably. And there's another, there's a subtext to it in that you can imagine Peter and James and John, the ones that are mentioned, these are Jewish guys, young Jewish guys. Young Jewish guys who have been rejected most of their lives in that they're, they're fishermen, they're kind of normal day laborers, and they've been chosen by Jesus to be his followers, which is already like a huge surprise. But you can imagine that they're used to not being respected by people like Jairus, right? And so for this is a great opportunity for these guys because Jairus needs something from Jesus. And you see, they're excited. They're thinking like, this is it. Now you get to go heal the powerful guy. We're finally going to get the powerful guy's daughter. We're going to get some respect. You know, this is great for me as, as Peter, because now my, my rabbi that says some crazy things sometimes, and I don't even know if I like the fact that all the other respected Jewish people don't like him. Now's our chance. So you can see this is why Peter's like, let's go. 
Like, it's ridiculous. Every, everybody's touching us. Remember what matters here. Let's go and heal Jairus' daughter. But Jesus stops and creates a scene in which he, he waits until this woman will present herself in front of him, in which he lets her tell the story about what happened. He then tells her that her faith has healed her, and she goes in peace. Then, immediately when this happens, somebody from Jairus' house comes and basically says, it's too late. Stop bothering Jesus. Your daughter's dead. Not a very kind person. And Jesus looks right at Jairus, who's been watching this whole thing, and he says, don't be afraid. Just believe. She'll be, she'll be made well. Then they go off to the house. Jesus goes in with Jairus and the girl's mother and, and three of his followers, and he then heals the, the, the girl who had died, but then she, he kind of says she's not actually dead, but he heals her. She comes back to life, and then he goes on his way. And so that's the, the basic story, and I just want to talk through four themes, and the first is here. It says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named, the man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. So I talked a bit already about this, but, but this is one of the main themes of the story, is that you have, a, you, have a, you have a religious leader who's well-respected, who falls in a posture of humility before Jesus. Somebody that he shouldn't respect necessarily or need something from. In other words, Jairus has no other options, right? I mean, he probably would not, this would not be his first choice to make his daughter well, but he falls before Jesus. In the same way, the second character of the story, the woman has had this issue for 12 years in such a way that no one has been able to help her. You can see it in the, in the text. Other translation, not translations of this, but other text in the other gospels about Jesus or uh, it, some, some, some uh, original documents of this actually say that the woman has spent all her money on this. So she has had this issue for 12 years and she's broke and no one can help her. And so what you have is you have two people, a very religious, powerful guy, and a woman who is completely rejected and kind of done. And they both are at the end of themselves, and they come to Jesus for help. And this is one of the biggest, I think, misunderstandings of, of Christianity. So this is really key to this whole thing about a quiet revolution of love. What is Christianity really about? And just to me, this is my opinion, I think this is the greatest misunderstanding of what Jesus is about that exists today. And that is that we view Jesus as if Jesus is the leader of a religion called Christianity. And Christianity is a world religion that sits alongside religions that you might know of, known as Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and Judaism and the, the kind of big ones that you know of. And because we view it like this, it feels a bit complicated because then we, we view Jesus as a religious leader that's competing with other religious leaders. And uh, this is why it's awkward if you want to share your faith as a Christian, because it feels like, why would, that feels awkward if I'm any, you know, if I have any, like, goodness in me as a person. Like, I don't want to just, like, convince people to leave their religion and their culture to follow Jesus, and then it just feels like I'm asking them to join my religion and culture. It also makes it complicated, because it's really hard to read the story of Jesus when we think like that. Because Jesus, and we, we're reading Luke, but you can take my word for it, you can read the rest of Matthew, Mark, Luke, even John, Jesus never uses the word Christianity. He never uses the word Christian. He never says anywhere. I mean, Jesus' whole ministry is spent walking around giving talks to people and teaching and healing. And in all those opportunities where he has, he has the opportunity to define what he's about, he never once says or hints that he's come to start a religion. In fact, Jesus is a Jew, and you just think about it like this, Jesus is Jew, and he, he doesn't talk about himself as a Jew much, but he never says that he's not a Jew. He never said that he's 
kind of stopping becoming a Jew so that he can become a Christian. He never tells people, whether they're Romans or Jews, to stop their religion and start another one. So what's going on? What is Jesus really about? And I, this might be a bit hard at times to, to grasp. Well, I'm going to sit on it for a second, and if, if you don't catch it or, or you don't agree, you can listen to it again when I put it online. But this little idea will change the way that you view Jesus. It'll change the way you share your faith. And if you're not a Christian yet, it might change the way you think about making that decision to follow Jesus. See, we, we think that all, all the... There's actually two ways to think about religion, and one of them is the way I'm talking about it right now. There are religions in the world in which you can count. Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity. And uh, you either belong to those religions or you're, or you're not a religious person, Right? And uh, it's more and more popular to not be a traditional religious person. This is one way to think about it, that there are religions in the world. And we think that all, it's, it's unkind. Often our thing is, Jesus came and he's the truth and he's right. And so you should leave your religion and you should follow Jesus. And, and then there's an idea that says, well, don't all religions lead to God? I'm sure you've heard this. And this troubles, this is both for people who don't call themselves Christians. It feels really true. Right? Like, this is why you shouldn't force your beliefs on somebody else, because they're all really the same. And to Christians, even that really deeply believe in Jesus, is very troubling because, because it, feels, it feels unkind. Right? It feels like, well, if I'm telling you it doesn't, it's just, you know. What's actually not true about the whole thing is that it's not true that all religions lead to God. It's, in fact, true that no religion leads to God, including Christianity. So it might feel weird for a second, just keep going. Nothing, nothing. Jesus' actual message is much closer to this statement, no religions lead to God, than the fact that Christianity leads to God and other religions do not. And the way this, may, the way this matters is because Jesus' core message is that all religions seek to make their way to God. They seek to connect you with God, but they actually can't. And, it's, and they're all good. I mean, all of these religions that I mentioned, although they all have issues, they all in, like, at their core, have a desire that people can connect with the divine, right? That they can move beyond their experience of being a human being and connect with God. But Jesus' message is actually that none of it works, including, in a way, his Judaism. It's why he he bothers all the Jewish people around him, even though he's a Jew. Because he's challenging the basic assumption that them being a Jew means that they can connect with God. Jesus' message is, is a bit more radical, and it's that he is God himself coming down to us. God is patient with us, and he's okay that people are religious and that they try to find ways to connect with him. It's actually human. It's a deep human need that we create ways to try to connect with God and know him. But Jesus says that all of those have failed, which is why they all exist, and there's more, there's more being created. And so we're always trying to create ways to connect with God, so obviously it doesn't work very well. And so Jesus stands outside of the religious world, even as a Jew, he stands outside of all the religious claims and he says that Jesus is actually the answer to all of the different religious ideas. So it's not that all religions lead to God, but it's actually at the end of religion that you are able to understand Jesus' message now. And what this has to do with the story is because the Jewish man, the, the powerful Jewish leader that knows Judaism better than anybody, has come up to a point in his life where his Judaism apparently isn't helping now. Because, you know, the Jews believe that people can be healed. They believe that they can pray and God will, will touch his daughter and heal him. But obviously what he's done has not worked. To the point where he's willing to seek out this kind of obscure rabbi Jesus figure. 
fall to his knees in front of everybody that knows him, talk about his reputation, and say, I need you to do this for me. I need you to come and do this. Jesus, his relationship with Jesus begins where he, where he has to give up on his Judaism. And this is actually the same for all of us. No matter what religion we come from or a friend of ours comes from, even if they call it Christianity, we must come to the end of the ways in which we try to reach God ourselves. And that is where Jesus begins to make sense to us. That is where his, that's why he stands outside of all of it. And I would say that if you come from, from a Hindu background or you, or, or you even consider yourself a Muslim or you consider yourself, you know, you grew up as a Christian, all the things that you long for, the reasons that you do that, the, the things that you believe about that, Jesus is the answer to the things you're actually seeking. He is himself not a different religious claim that you're saying which one is true and which one's not true. But he, he doesn't play in the games of religion, if this makes sense. The, the problem is that we've thoroughly confused it by talking about Jesus as the leader of a religion called Christianity. Okay. There's a lot of things I'm not saying here. I'm saying you might hear it, that I, that I don't believe Christianity is true or something like that. It's not the case. It's just that to understand Jesus, we, we need to step outside of that box for a second and understand that no matter what we are calling ourselves, no matter what things we say we believe, that the person of Jesus is able to be understood and he's able to come to us and we're able to, to follow him and come into a relationship with him when we give up our religion. Now, the other thing is that the way the world works today is that not everybody calls themselves a religious person. You know, nobody says I'm a Christian or a Buddhist or, or, a, or a Muslim or, or so on. And, and we pretend that those are the only ones. But in fact, today, religion is a little different than it was even 50 years ago. And that's that everybody, everybody is always religious. Everybody has a faith. Everybody believes. But we call it by all different things today. So if you want to know what your religion is, you should ask yourself what you're pursuing in life. What's your goal in life? What you're pursuing in life? What your passion is? And when you're able to answer that, whatever it sounds like, I'm going to say my job or something, that is your religious belief. Your deepest religious belief is that if you have the right job, that life will be made well, you'll be a whole person, you'll find joy and meaning in life. These are the religious ideas, you know? And so the way religion works today is those things. So it's the same is that you must come to the end of those ideas and the end of your own, your own beliefs, and then Jesus can meet you. It's, it's called giving up. And we see, it with, we see it with Jairus and we see it with the woman. And so in many ways, this, this story is teaching that to, to meet and understand Jesus, one must come to the end of themselves, no matter what you call your religion. It, it really actually, I think, matters very little to Jesus, the, the religious background and culture that you claim. What matters is, who is Jesus to you? And then when you meet Jesus, he begins to work out all the religious ideas that you've had. He begins to take them apart and say, what, what in this that you believe is really about my kingdom and what is not? And for some of us, that's Christianity and it gets worked out. And for some people, it's another traditional religion that gets worked out. The second, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came to the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When I first read this story, I thought, what is Jesus, what is Jesus doing? Because we have this woman. So to, I'll talk about the woman for a few seconds, and I'll tell you what, what I think is troubling about the story for what Jesus does. You have a woman who, the story says, has been bleeding for 12 years. Now what's happening is that she has been internally bleeding, like menstruation, for 12 years straight. This is, a, this is a medical condition, and she has not been able to be helped. Now, the woman just, just physically is, is deeply, I mean, it's a dangerous condition. And at, at least, she's incredibly weak, just physically. I'm talking about what else happens in her life, but she's incredibly weak. 
says that she's come to the end. I mean, at New Imagine, it says she's tried everything. The kinds of things that she would have tried, she would have tried a doctor, somewhat like we would think of a doctor. They have not been able to help her, heal her, nothing. She would have gone to her synagogue to probably Jairus. This is what's funny about the story. They have been through prayer or anointing or whatever, have been unable to help her. And so she has been just, uh, she's out of options, like I said earlier. The thing that's really troubling about the woman is that as a Jewish woman, the, in, the, in the beginning of the Bible, I do have a Bible somewhere. <laughs> in the beginning of the Bible, there's a lot of laws about how you should live as a Jewish person. And there are laws significant to when a, when a woman is menstruating. And this is what's so sad for her is that in Leviticus it says that while the woman is bleeding, that she cannot attend the synagogue meeting. So she wouldn't be able to come into a place like this. Okay. At the same time, it says that, that she cannot come in contact with anybody. I don't even touch the arm. And if she does, if an accident happens and she brushes against somebody, that person that touched her is considered unclean for the rest of the day. That person is considered unclean for the rest of the day, even if they go through ritual cleansing, which they must do anyway. But still, for the rest of the day, they're unclean. Now, what it means to be unclean is that you can't, you can't take part in any religious anything. The, the message is that you really can't connect with God while you're unclean. The Jews believed this, and, they, and there's a part of it's definitely true in, in the Old Testament. But they, they viewed God as, as totally other than them, okay? Totally pure and clean and without fault, which is not untrue. And the way they thought about it, hey, thanks. The way they thought about it is that we must do everything we can to remain pure and clean in life if we want to connect with God. And for some reason, the, the law says that this is one of the issues, what this means for this woman, though, is that for 12 years, she has been unable to attend a synagogue meeting. She's been unable to pray in any kind of way, in any kind of corporate setting. She's been unable to exercise her faith. More than that, assuming she has a husband and children or lives with anybody, she can't. If, if she sits on the stool, no one else is allowed to sit on the stool. She cannot sleep in a bed with anyone else, whether she touches them or not. Can you imagine what this has done to her life. Okay? She's completely ostracized for 12 years, let alone the physical issues that she's going through, right? And just like the wanting to be healed and not, and losing all of her money possibly trying to. But then over here, her faith is worthless now. She's worth nothing. And so you have this woman. So <coughs> the story, this is the point. The story is odd because it's a miracle within a miracle. Jesus walks up, Jairus comes to him, kneels down, says, come heal my daughter. This is, the, this is the, what the story seems to be about. And Jesus goes on his way, and he's cut. These are, Jairus, the story about Jairus and the daughter are like the, the beginning and the end of the story. And the whole middle of the story is about this woman, which is curious because these kinds of things don't usually happen in the Bible. And it's just kind of a weird story because Jesus seems like there's something really special about what's going on. And this is, what the, this is really the main miracle of the story. If you look at the story, the healing of Jairus' daughter is really simple. You know, it's like Jesus is never worried about it. He's like, she can die. It doesn't matter. I'm going to heal her anyway. I'm not really in a hurry about it. And when he goes, everyone's kind of freaking out. And he just touches her and tells her to get up. And then he tells her parents to give her something to eat. I mean, it's just like you start getting the feeling like Jesus is just not really concerned about that at all. But he's walking with his disciples. And this woman who is nothing, 
I mean, we look at the stories about Jesus, and Jesus is usually looking for people that are hurt, sick, sinful. This woman really tops the list, I think, in many ways, for the examples of people that he's dealing with, which are, which are marginalized. This woman does not want to be seen. Why do you think she, she, she sneaks through the crowd just to touch Jesus' coat? Because she's not allowed to touch him. You realize this, right? Like, she's not allowed to do this. She would get in trouble by touching anybody. But she knows, for some reason, like the, like the prostitute in the story last week, that she's got to get to Jesus. This is an example of something that has come to the end of her. It's probably easy for her to come to the end of her Judaism. You know? She can't even go. What does she believe? All her beliefs have ended in nothing. There's nothing wrong with Judaism. I mean, we could replace that with any other belief system. But she's come to the end of her belief system. And she has to get to Jesus. So she sneaks through the crowd and she touches him. Now here's what what bothered me at first. Is that Jesus knows what's going on, of course. And he's, but he stops. And he, and he won't move until the woman comes in the front. And I just thought, it's, it feels so shaming to me. Why make the woman stand up in front of everybody and tell them what's going on? But this is to Jesus. This is the main part of the story. It's the part of the story where the woman comes and kneels. So just to show you what's going on. Jairus, as the synagogue, the powerful leader, comes before Jesus, kneels in front of him. The whole crowd sees. He's a respected man. Even in his kneeling, he still at least, he gets the attention of the crowd. The woman couldn't do that. The woman had to sneak through the crowd just to touch Jesus and be on her way. It says that as she touched him, she knew, if she could feel in her body, that she was no longer bleeding. She was healed for the first time in 12 years. But that's not, that's a miracle, of course. But the miracle to Jesus is what he's going to do. And so he invites the woman, he waits, and the woman says, I don't written here, but but you read it twice. The woman comes, and she says, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she comes before before Jesus now in front of him, kneels down. Everybody's around, and Jesus wants her to tell a story about what happened. See, Jesus knows. It might be weird if you don't believe in Jesus or, or anything about it, but Jesus knows what's happened. He understands who the woman is. He knows that she's touched him. She knows he's healed, and he wants to make a point. So he invites her in the front. She kneels down, and he says, "Tell everybody what happened." And so the woman explains that she's had this condition for 12 years. Granted, a lot of these people probably understand who she is. She's had this for 12 years. She snuck through the crowd. She says, I touched him, and I'm no longer bleeding. Why would Jesus want to do that? Is that Jesus is interested in holistic transformation is what we talk about. So what this means is holistic transformation. Jesus has healed her physically. Coming into contact with Jesus has already healed her physically. This for sure will change like her inner life. You know, her self-esteem, her ability to go into a religious meeting, to, to touch somebody. <laughs> you know, like, it cha- it's, it's really obvious. It changes her entire life. But Jesus wants to change her social life, too. This woman has a physical problem, but her real problem is that she's been socially rejected by everybody. So Jesus is going to ask her to come to the front. And now this is proof to everybody that today they, they, can, they will accept her back into the community. You can imagine what would have happened to this woman is that she would have tried to tell people. Look, I'm not bleeding anymore. I'm fine. I can come to synagogue. This is awkward. It's awkward. It's awkward to talk about. It's awkward because do they believe her or not? Because they're really serious about people being clean or unclean and following the rules. And this, they've only known this woman for 12 years with these issues. They know no one can help her. They've probably written her off. And to just say, well, how did it happen? How did you, what, what do you mean? How did it happen? Well, I mean, I snuck behind Jesus and touched it. Well, you're not allowed to touch anybody. <laughs> Wait, I snuck behind him and touched him, and I'm fine now. We just touched him? That doesn't, that's not how healing works. <laughs> we don't just touch somebody and we get healed. You see what Jesus is doing is he's giving her a place to say, you tell everybody what happened. And so I want everybody to, I want her social life to be healed right now. And that she's 
she's accepted back into the community. Now, what's really amazing about the story is that standing over here is Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, unable to help the woman. And who, whether he's a bad guy or not, is kind of tied to the rules of she can't come. What Jesus says to her at the end is the really amazing part, is he says to her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus says things like this often. But what's amazing about this is that the hero of the story is really Jesus, right? I mean, he's the one that has the power to heal the woman. Nobody else had the power to. But Jesus doesn't talk about himself at all. Instead, he tells her in front of everybody that it's her own faith. It's something inside her that has healed her. Now, whether we, that confuses us theologically to believe, well, how does it work? I mean, did she heal herself? Jesus just wants to make a point and, and lift her up to say that actually it's you that have done it. It's the faith inside you. Now, why is that amazing? It's because Jairus, the synagogue leader, the expert on faith, is watching, unable to do it. And Jesus says that actually the faith that no one else can accept that you have, they don't even know how to treat you, is the faith you have that has healed you. No one else could do it, and it was inside of you. So what happens now is immediately when that happens, Jairus, the text I just read from the screen, somebody comes from Jairus' house and says, okay, it's too late, she's dead. It just seems a bit too odd. You know? It's like immediately when you read it, immediately when, the, when he says, go in peace, somebody shows up and says, it's too late, the girl's dead. So what's happening is that the, the miracle that's happening in the middle of the other miracle is the real point of the story. Jesus is trying to make a point with it all. And that's that... Jesus is always willing, and if Jesus represents God, God is always willing to stop for the weak, the poor, the forgotten, the rejected person first. This is troubling for many of us, but there's an idea that in the last hundred years that people who read the Bible came up with and coined the term, God has, and they said God has a preferential option for people who are poor. When you read the Bible, it seems like God goes out of his way to help people who are poor, right? And he... And he, and he and it seems like he almost, like he advocates for people who are poor, not just like physically poor, but people who, like this woman, are rejected and cast out. Why? And what the, all they said was it seems to be the case that God preferentially like, like pursues people who are poor. And what I would say today is that it's clear in this story that Jesus' heart beats for people who, who don't have anybody else caring about them. His heart will beat First, for people whose no one else, no, there's no other heart beating for this person, so my heart's going to beat for them first. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't later go and, and, and take care of the very rich, powerful guy's daughter. So Jesus is not about rejecting some people and accepting others. It's that, and this is, this is true for us too, for how you come to Jesus, is by giving up. When you become a person that gives up and, and lets go of everything in your life to come to Jesus, that's where he meets us because he's always looking for people that have given up, that don't have anything, that have been cast out, that have been rejected. And so it's just to say that the miracle within the miracle is not really about healing. It is, but it's about what he's doing with this woman. And he's showing everybody that, that it's, well, I'll keep going, but it's about showing everybody that God's willing to stop for her and raise her up. So just to finish up, there's two more quick points. Um, there's this issue of, of God touching people. And this is, this, is, uh, this is what makes Jesus different. Okay, this is the whole, all religions don't lead to God. This is what really makes Jesus different than everyone else. In Jewish religion, like I told you already, it's, it's not good to touch somebody if you're unclean, right? And it's, it's, just, it's hard to explain how deep and serious that is to people. But in the story, Jesus touches two people who he's not allowed to touch, okay? The first one is a woman who's bleeding. He doesn't choose to do it, but he, the woman does it, and he seems to just applaud her for it. 
The second, and this is even more curious, Jesus walks into a room with a 12-year-old girl that has died. Now, this is another law in, the, in Leviticus, and that's that you cannot touch a person who's become deceased, or else you'll be clean. Uh, you'll become unclean. You can't pray. You can't do what you're supposed to do. You've got to be richly cleansed. You're going to be unclean for the rest of the day. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to be known as that. But Jesus goes out of his way. You know, if he's all-powerful, he could just tell the girl to get up, which he does in other stories. He said he goes out of his way to go touch her hand. Everybody around knows what's happening. Like, why are you touching her hand? <laughs> Stop doing that. Why would you do that? If you're really God, if you're really going to heal, why would you touch her? Jesus is altogether different than everybody else in these stories. He's altogether different than all the other Jewish people. And he supersedes, he completes all the laws that they believe in. What happens is when Jesus touches, here's a quote, Jesus shares the pollution of sickness and death, but the power of his own love, and it is love above all that shines through these stories, turns that pollution into wholeness and hope. If you don't hear anything else, maybe this is, this is maybe the best part to understand the story. When people come into contact with the girl that's dead or especially the woman who's bleeding, it's all about how their issue and their uncleanliness transfers to the other person. You know, so if I have an issue and Steph comes over and she comes in contact with me, it rubs off on her. This is their belief. That bad things in people rub off on other people. But for some reason with Jesus, whenever they come into contact with Jesus, they don't transfer the issue to Jesus. But Jesus transfers his cleanliness, his health, his peace, his life. He transfers it to the other person. Jesus is never overcome with our issues. He's never overcome. We, this is why we say it's, we're open to all. It doesn't matter your issues or your beliefs. Like you can come to God. He wants to see you and meet you. It's because when people come to Jesus, Jesus is not worried about what the other person is like. Because he knows that when they come into contact with him, they will become like he is. He won't become like they are. And so you see it when he touches the, when the woman just touches Jesus, an issue that's so deep that it's not healed becomes healed immediately. When he comes in contact with the girl, it doesn't even matter that she's dead. Jesus becomes alive immediately. The story, this story foreshadows what Jesus will do in full through his death on a Roman cross and his resurrection from the dead. The, the story is a picture of what Jesus is going to do in, later. And that's if you know the story, Jesus is nailed to a Roman cross and, and dies and rises up on the third day. And the meaning of the cross and the resurrection is that Jesus' own death, dying with sin, when, when our sin, everything that's wrong with the world, touches Jesus, it goes away. It doesn't affect God, but it goes completely away. When death, this is the amazing thing, when Jesus dies and he comes into contact with death, death itself comes back to life again. Right? That's why Jesus rises from the dead, because even death doesn't do anything to Jesus. When Jesus comes in contact with it, it transforms. That might be hard to get if you don't believe this stuff, but this is what the story means. It's just kind of a, a conversation. You can accept it or not, but this is the story of Jesus and what it's about. Jesus is this kind of person that when anything comes in contact with him, it transforms and changes. It's good news for us today if you consider yourself a Christian already, but you struggle, is to believe again that it coming into contact with Jesus transforms that thing. It doesn't, it doesn't halt Jesus being near you. Jesus wants to be very close to you so that those issues can become transformed. You guys can come up because I know I moved all your stuff, so you can come put it back. We're just going to end with a song. The last point here is that the, the story, I think, for the, for the people around, for the people that watch Jesus do this that aren't directly involved, like us, the invitation is to enter into the story too. The invitation is to, to what does the woman who's bleeding for 12 years have to do with me? What does the girl that's died that's going to be raising it have to do with me? Because these stories, Jesus cares deeply about these individual women. But, but 
In addition to this, everything that he does is an example of the people that are around who might not have these same issues. But Jesus thinks that the message is, is, is meaningful to them and that they need to hear it. I think the, the key is this idea that he says both times that the key to the miracle happening was the woman's faith that was bleeding. And he says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just learn from the woman who's bleeding, which is amazing again. Don't, you're, you're doubting because your daughter's dead now, but I just showed you, the woman just taught you what faith is like. So learn what faith is like and go believe for your daughter too and don't be afraid. And so the meaning of, the invitation is one to have faith. Our friend Greg Mitchell says, everyone has faith. The question is whether the object of our faith is worthy of our trust. Jesus is worthy because he is pure love, unequaled authority, and infinite truth. So we talk a lot about following Jesus. We always invite people to start a relationship with Jesus, to follow Jesus. I invite you, if you believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, to continue to do that, to continue to follow him. But how does that work? It, if we can boil it down today, it's, to, it's an invitation to have this thing called faith or trust. You might have heard that word a thousand times, but it's an extremely practical idea. And that is everybody believes, everybody trusts, everybody has faith. My trust might be today that my trust might be in my relationships, that those relationships, if I can get one, that will complete me and help me. If I can just move from this place and move to another city, my future will begin. Or if I can, if I can get a better job so that I'm making that much money, then life will start. These are ways that we don't usually think about as religious, but these are ways that we trust. The, the, kind of, the, the thing I trust in the deepest, which is usually myself, this is where my faith and my trust lie. And so like the woman, or like Jairus, we must come to the end of that and say, I give up on that. It's not working for me. And our trust, we transfer it then to Jesus, which all that means is, it can sound like this. Jesus, even in all my doubts, I guess I'll trust you. I'll trust what you say. I'll trust you with my life. I'll give you my life more than me trusting it with myself. And even as I say that, I can, there's, there's a lot of other parts that say, Really? What about this? 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 Which is why he says to Jairus, stop being afraid. Fear is the thing that gets in the way of us trusting, because trust is a risk. Having faith in Jesus just means trusting him, giving your life to him, counting on him. And the first thing that happens is you become afraid that it's not going to work. Jesus knows this, is what he said. And so this is the invitation today is, as we close here, is just to meditate on that and to say, where, where is my faith? Has my faith never been in Jesus? And I'm not, I don't consider myself a Christian or whatever you want to call it, but my faith is not in Jesus. I'm going to invite you today to say, okay, I'm going to give you my trust without knowing the future, without knowing how it's going to go, without knowing how I explain that to other people, but just to, to give you my trust. And if I think I already have faith in Jesus, but I'm challenged by the story of the woman, the story of Jairus, who give up everything, who lay out before everybody in vulnerability and say, I need help. Is to, is to give it again. Because the thing is, even as a Christian, our, it's all about our trust, and our trust is constantly changing. You know, today, I don't really know who I trust the most. I mean, even this week, has God been the person I trust? Has Jesus been where my faith is every day? For sure not. Because it's constantly struggling with everything else that I would trust him, which is why it's constantly about giving up and giving up and letting go and surrendering to him and coming back to trust him. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.